Hello and welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom. My name is Helen Mully and I am very excited about this episode because the author joining us in your classroom or wherever you're listening is not only a fantastically talented poet, he just also happens to be the UK's current children's laureate. Welcome to the podcast, Joseph Coelho. Thank you, Helen. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure and there is so much I want to talk with you about, Joseph, but I wonder if I could start by asking you to explain for our listeners, because I've just told them that you're the current Children's Laureate. What does that mean? Well, the Children's Laureate um, is a role which lasts for two years. I follow one from Cressida Cow. And as Children's Laureate, I get to celebrate uh, children's literature and to get young people excited about reading books and writing. Um, and so I get to do that for the next two years. Each laureate makes their tenure their own. So for my laureateship, I'll be focusing on getting young people to write poetry, to discover new diverse voices, and I'll also be taking part in a library marathon, which means I will continue to join libraries. I aim to join a library in every library authority in the UK so that I can encourage people to get into their libraries and to borrow lots of books. That sounds really exciting. What an amazing role to have to get children excited about, about books and reading and writing. If you had to achieve anything during your time as Lloyd, is there something that by the end of those two years you want to say, I did this? Well, I want to see more and more children and adults seeing poetry as something that they can do. There's a lot of baggage with poetry and I want to get rid of some of that baggage. So through the poetry prompts, which go live every Monday morning, there's a five to 10 minute video released on the Book Trust website, which encourages anyone to write a poem in a fun and accessible way. So at the end of these two years, there will be 90 poetry prompts that would have gone live over my tenure. And I hope through those prompts that lots of people will discover the poet within themselves. That would make me very happy. And you can find out more about the poetry prompts on the Book Trust website at booktrust.org.uk forward slash poetry prompts. That's a fantastic aim and what an amazing resource. I know the teachers and the, and the parents listening will be really excited to hear about that if they're not aware of it already. Um, I, I wonder, Joseph, if if you could go back in time to the time when you were the same age as most of our listeners are now, so maybe somewhere between eight and 12, if you could go back and, and sneak up on that Joseph and tell him that when he grows up, he is going to be a poet, not even children's laureate, that he's going to be a poet. What do you think he'd say? I'm not sure he would believe it. Um, <laughs> and I think I'd have to tell him a couple of times. Uh, when I was around seven or eight, I didn't really think that I could be a writer. It's not, I never saw anyone who looked a bit like me working as a writer. Um, I didn't read any books by writers of colour or indeed have any characters with writers of colour in um, or from working class backgrounds for that matter. Uh, so I think he would take some convincing 
And mm. it would be a whole new world, a whole new idea that he could be a writer, that he could be a poet. It was much later in my schooling that I uh, had the had the opportunity to see Gene Binterbreeze, the late great Gene Binterbreeze, perform a poem, and that was the first time I saw someone a bit like me reading a poem, working as a writer, working as a as a, a brilliantly successful writer and poet, and that planted the seed for me to become a writer. And then, as I got older, um, after university, I met many more poets on the London poetry scene. Uh, people like Lem Sisse, Jacob Sam LaRose, Malika Booker, Francesca Beard, all working as poets and from very varied backgrounds, from backgrounds like mine, backgrounds different to mine, but all very inspiring. Um, and it was through those individuals that I realised I could be a writer. So little eight-year-old Joe would take some convincing, I think. <laughs> It's so important to plant that seed, isn't it? And I hope conversations like this might help just a little bit. I, I know that for a lot of our listeners, and to be honest, I'm including the grown-ups in this, so teachers too, um, poetry, this this thing called poetry, is something that sits just a little bit outside all the other types of reading and writing that we do. I mean, I don't know many people who reach for a, a book of poems when they want to relax or they want to escape. And yet poetry is amazing for doing exactly that. Would you like to change the way people think about poetry? Do you think we can? Yes. Yeah, so I think it is innate in us to see poetry as something to go to during a funeral, during a wedding or a new birth. Yes. We understand that poetry is able to connect at times of, of great need. Um, so it, I don't feel it should be that hard to get people turning to poetry more often. Um, I think at the moment it's often reserved for those very difficult times when our emotions get so big that we, we don't quite know how to express what we're feeling inside. And then the idea of a poem, of, of reading a poem or occasionally writing a poem come, comes to us. But what I hope that through being laureate and being a poet, um, that I'm able to get people to turn to poems more often and not to wait for those big life-changing <laughs> moments, but to see the reading of poetry and the writing of poetry as something which is available to us all the time and can be hugely helpful um, at difficult times, whatever those times may be. And indeed, during great, fantastic, fun times as well. Yes. We shouldn't only see poetry as something we turn to when we're feeling down. <laughs> but indeed, you know, if we're really excited about something and you want to find a poem that gets you really excited, it's coming up to Halloween. So if we want a poem that maybe makes us feel a little bit creepy, a little bit creeped out, then we could turn to a poem there to enjoy that sensation. Um, or we can write our own creepy poems as well. Yes, there's so much, isn't there, to explore and discover. And I think it might help listeners um, if they could hear you perhaps reading one of your poems. Um, would that be OK? Absolutely. Brilliant. In which case, I will just pause the recording for a moment while you get ready and do whatever it is the poets need to do before they perform their poetry. And then we will come back to hear some poetry in action. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with today's very special guest, Children's Laureate, Joseph Coelho. 
Joseph, you're going to read one of your poems for us now. Um, perhaps before you start, you could tell us a little bit about it. Well, the poem I would like to read from you is for you is called This Bear, and it's from my collection Poems Aloud. I wrote this poem because I'm often asked what was the first poem I ever wrote. And I believe the first poem I ever wrote, or the, fir the first poem I remember writing, was when I was 12 years old. Um, uh, yes, uh, in year eight, 12 years old in year eight, and there was a school competition and we were asked to write a poem. I had recently seen a documentary at the time about bears being treated very badly. Um, bears kept in cages in other countries and having horrible things done to them and this upset me. So I wrote a poem about it. Now, I don't remember the poem. I've since lost the poem, Aww. but I do know that it was called unbearable i see what you've done there and i feel like the title alone should have <laughs> enabled me to win but I, I, alas i didn't win the competition um and years later as an adult i felt god it's a real shame that uh, i lost that poem so i want to write another poem about a bear but maybe with a bit more of a a, a an, an uplifting ending um and this poem has been designed to be read slowly all the poems in poems are allowed uh, have different performance techniques suggested at the start of them. Um, so the performance technique suggestion for this poem is that you read it slowly. This bear. This lumbering bear is old. This lumbering, bumbling bear has shuffled over rugged, imagined mountains, urged his bulk slow and strong, slow as geography, strong as tree growth, through the forests of his mind. This hulking brown bear, furred in shagpile, cloaked in dusty winter coats, sways to the tune of the camera flash, eyebrows worn smooth, his back is bald from sitting. This ungainly bear takes two dreamy steps from a cage bathed in decades of eyebrow fur, rusted with blood specks. He swaddles out to the first deep earth beneath his paws, the first thick wind through his thick fur, as his seasoned desires of water and wood and grass and stone roll out the colour of his imaginings. This heavy bear, this happy bear, this home bear, sighs out to freedom. I, I have got actual goosebumps. <laughs> I have. That's so beautiful. Um, and I love the way you were really relishing the words as you read them as well. I could I could feel the the heaviness and the solidity of of the bear, and just this sense that he hasn't quite captured the full extent of his freedom yet. It's 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 really beautiful, and uh, I know. Um, it's one of the most annoying questions that you can ask a writer, so I apologise in advance. But <laughs> I, but I do think it's important because our listeners, unlike actual poets in in the world outside school, will almost certainly have had experience of sitting at their tables with a blank page in front of them and being told, "Okay, you have to write a poem now." Mm. And so, from your perspective, what I'd love to know is you explained 
the origins of that poem, but the actual words on the page, where do they come from? Where do they start? Um, yeah, I often get asked about ideas and how do you come up with ideas and, and where do you get ideas from? Um, and about writer's block, funnily enough. And I, I tend to think that writer's block doesn't really exist. I think what happens is that we fail to take note of our ideas when they arrive. And it's very easy to remedy that. You need to keep a notebook and keep it with you at all times because we all have brilliant ideas, um, but they just come at weird times. They might come in the middle of the night, first thing in the morning, um, on your way to school, on your way back from school during lunch break or playtime. But if you've got a little notebook and a little pencil with you, you can note down those ideas and those ideas, might it might be a word, it might be a sentence, it might be the idea for a poem, it might be the idea for a, po uh, for a story, it might be... Uh, a turn of phrase that you end up using in a poem or story. I have my notebook with me wherever I go. And when an idea comes, I note it down so that when I do come to sit down at my computer or um, to write in a, in a notepad or on a piece of paper, and if I'm stuck for ideas at that moment, I can turn to my notebook and go through all the different ideas that I've had over the coming days, weeks, months, years even. Uh, one thing that I like to do is to put page numbers on all my notebooks and when I complete a notebook to add a contents page because it's very easy to get lots of notes in lots of notebooks and have no idea what's in those notebooks. But with the simple addition of page numbers and a contents page, you can very easily keep track of what notes you have written when and that means it becomes very easy to sit down uh, in front of a blank sheet of paper or staring at a blank screen and to flick through your notebook and to start to put words onto the page. See, who said creative people can't be organised as well? It's the perfect combination. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think the other thing that our listeners will have experience of um, in the classroom is learning about all the various kinds of important figurative language that poets often use, all, all writers, but poets especially, I think. So metaphors, similes, personification, alliteration, and so on. And listening to you read this bear earlier on, um, I was I was picking them out. They, they were all in there. So many um, examples of assonance and alliteration and, and all those other things. But I suppose what would be interesting to know would be, do you deliberately put them in or do you get to the end of the poem and think, oh, well, there's there's not enough um, uh, alliteration in there. I, I must put some more in. How, how does that work? It's a bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, so I will write, uh, write a first draft and then go back and edit and edit and redraft. And I'll do that 15, 20 times. And through that process, you start to see some things just arrive naturally and you, you know, realise, oh, I've put a, a metaphor in there and there's, there's some alliteration, I've used some onomatopoeia. Um, but then as you keep going through and editing and redrafting, then it becomes more of a conscious act of, you know, starting to see where patterns have naturally arisen in the, in the piece that you're writing. And then you can underline some of those by adding adding more, by building on a on a, a, an image or, or symbolism that is starting to appear within the piece. So I do see it as kind of layering up. Um, and I often th uh, think about kind of word 
worlds. So if I uh, want to add sort of subtext to a piece, then I will think very carefully about my word choice and then try to pick words that can support what I want to say, but also have a, a, a hidden a hidden level of meaning. So, uh, for instance, in this poem, I talk uh, about the bear being slow and strong, slow as geography. And I use that simile because this bear is being released out into, into landscape, into a landscape that he hasn't seen. So the language of, of the land and geography and time, I wanted to kind of pepper through the poem so that we get a sense of, of this bear coming out into this newfound freedom. So I, I definitely consciously uh, do that, but it's um, a play between working with what has come up naturally and instinctively and supporting that as well. Yes, and it's so lovely to think about those figurative ways of, of writing that, that children are, are learning about in school at the moment and think about them not as, as rules you have to remember or, or things you must dutifully insert in your poems, but things that give you the power to make your words say even more than they would say without these additions. I think that's really quite exciting and I hope our listeners find it exciting too. Um, I have a tricky question for you. At least I think it's a tricky question. You might not. Um, how do you know as a reader when you're reading a poem? Ooh. I think you know when you're reading a poem <laughs> if it's got lots of line breaks. I think if you really <laughs> boil a poem down, you know, because poems can have structure and form and can be formless and free verse. Uh, poetry... Um, there's a lot that falls under the umbrella of poetry. Yeah. And I think when you really boil it down, what makes a poem different from prose or from other mediums are line breaks. <laughs> so if you're looking at a page and it looks like a poem, lots of short lines that are either indented um, to the left or the right or you know in the centre, <laughs> you're reading a poem. I think that's when you really, really, really boil it down. That's when you know you've got a poem. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting seeing the rise of things like verse novels, which I, th I think are actually f fantastic in sort of telling story. Um, but what's interesting about verse novels is many of them tend to be beautiful prose, actually, that is broken up. Yeah, and you could uh, you could take all the line breaks out, and you'd have a you'd have a novella. You know, you'd have a, some beautiful prose which has been split up. Um, I think to take it another level about what, what makes something a poem is that close consideration of, of words, um, of different poetic devices. Not that, but that's not to say that a poem must have poetic devices to be a poem. I think for a poem to be a poem, it needs line breaks. <laughs> yeah, I think, I literally think that is it. But there are different... Uh, different tools within poetry, within the landscape of poetry that we can use that make it a poem. So I'd say line breaks are the first thing, but then there's all these other tools that we can also sprinkle in, like metaphor, personification, rhyme. And then there's forms of poems like sonnets and villanelles and pantoums and triolets. Yeah, there's all, all these different layers of, of poetry, but it's all poetry. And it can have all of these things or none of these things. 
the, the only thing I think it can't have is no line breaks. Someone <laughs> might correct me on this, but that's that's my personal take on it. Because once you have no line breaks, well, then you're you're in prose. You're in prose territory. Definitely, you heard <laughs> you know? it here first. Um, and you can have prose which is very poetic. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> I think that might be a fun exercise for our listeners actually to take a piece of writing, either their own or from one of their favourite books, and rearrange it on the page with line breaks and then decide whether what they're reading is a poem or not that could be quite fun couldn't it oh yeah absolutely i think uh, there was a, a i remember watching uh, tony morrison's um in a documentary once and she said poets write great prose they just break it up <laughs> <laughs> so, so it works both ways <laughs> excellent Joseph there are a couple more things I'm really keen to ask you um, but before we move on I would also like to remind all the parents and teachers listening that we do produce a free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom you can download it from plazoom.com and details are in the episode notes and that will help all the listeners to start putting all this advice and ideas that they've heard into action in writing of their own. Okay, Joseph, I'm just going to pause recording quickly again so that everyone can make a note of that web address and then we'll come back and talk poetry some more. Welcome back again to this episode of Author in Your Classroom, featuring the fantastic poet and all-round lovely human being, not to mention children's laureate, Joseph Coelho. Joseph, I was reading a piece you wrote recently about becoming children's laureate, and it included this sentence, which I copied down because I thought it was so beautiful and so intriguing. You said, there's a magic in poetry it's a lens through which we can all spy endless horizons. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I feel that poetry kind of ironically describes the indescribable because it gives us license uh, to talk about things poetically. It gives us a means of making connections and uh, finding similarities between things that we wouldn't normally describe in normal everyday speech or normal everyday writing. Um, it enables us to build images and to build upon images and to create a space where it is accepted that one thing might stand for more than itself, that uh, something might actually give an insight into something deeper or other. Um, and I think because of that, it helps us to, to funnily enough, see things more clearly because it, it, it makes us go deeper within ourselves and makes us see those connections that we, we don't normally see. They're like dreams in a way, that way that you can wake up from a dream and suddenly realise something really poignant about your life, have those sort of epiphany moments of, oh my goodness, it, this is the thing that's been holding <laughs> me back or oh, I'm really scared of that, or, or actually the problem I have with this personal situation is because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And we, we have those, those moments of epiphany often through slightly surreal uh, situations or experiences. Um, and I think poetry can do that. It can cut right through. I often say that poetry translates the soul because it it talks in the language of feelings and emotions and because of that can open up 
our experience open up our presence to ways of being, to ways of thinking, to ways of feeling that we might not normally be connected to in our everyday lives. So if there's someone listening now who's sitting there thinking to themselves, nope, nope, poetry just isn't for me. I wouldn't get it. it. It's not. It's not written for me. It's not about me. What would you say to them? Well, I. I think it's important that you find your passions, whatever they are. And I, I, I so often hear about poetry being done to people, being people being made to read poetry, to listen to poetry. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want to do that. If you know, if you haven't, if poetry hasn't moved you that's fine. But I, I would like to think that there is something out there for everyone and would sort of gently suggest that there is a poem out there for you. It's just waiting for you to discover it. Or indeed that there is a poet out there that will connect with you. Because of course, there are all sorts of poets living and dead from all sorts of backgrounds with all sorts of experiences. Poets that have had the experiences you have had, poets that will speak directly to your experience. Um, and it might take us a while to find those. Often I feel people are, and teachers as well, and adults have been turned off uh, from poetry because they've been made to analyse it at an early age and been offered a very narrow range of poets uh, with a narrow range of life experiences um, and then being told oh, there's a right way and a wrong way to understand this poem which totally disconnects us from, from the writer um, whereas when you find a poet that speaks to you for whatever reason you know, they might be like you, they might be totally different from you but something they have written talks to you um, there's a real connection there and what talks to you in one poet's poem will be totally different to what speaks to another person um, when they read that poem. Um, and I would also suggest to that, to that theoretical person <laughs> that uh, they have a go at writing a, a poem because your words are valid, your words, your voice is important. Um, and so maybe you haven't found a poem or a poet that speaks to you, but maybe you are that poet. And if, the, if things are, if you're not finding what speaks to you, then there's other people that will feel like you. And that means there's even more reason for you to put your voice out there, to put your poems out into the world. And then maybe you can be that connection for someone else. That is so important for everyone to hear. And I, I really hope that there are people listening right now who are just getting the little unfurling of an idea inside them and thinking, oh, do you know what? I could actually do that. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be brilliant, yes. Um, Joseph, I, I don't really know how this has happened, but we have come to the end of the time that we have for this episode of Author in Your Classroom. It's been an absolute joy talking to you I, I hope you've enjoyed it too thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me Helen it's been absolutely lovely anytime and to all our listeners thank you too we'll be back soon with another author in your classroom and in the meantime keep reading keep writing and keep those imaginations lively Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom. 
where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATS revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com, where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible, so please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen with Author in Your Classroom and Plazoom.